0: Okay, Um, I've had a little break in preaching for a number of months and been doing the things that are actually on my job description, Um, and it's been been good. I've been able to work with the children's ministries, I've been able to uh, uh, teach some classes and and see what's going on. Today I get uh, back here uh, in the pulpit that we have and want to talk to you about... uh, God's Word from Galatians chapter 5. If you want to look that up, you can. We're going to be reading it together in just a moment. But first of all, I just want to say that one of the joys of being in Hong Kong, I've been here almost three years now, and one of the things that just strikes us as different than where we came from in North America is that there's an abundance of fresh fruit. You can get it 12 months out of the year here. And you may not know what that's like, but when Six months out of the year, you can't grow anything because it's too cold. That kind of dries up the fresh fruit supply. It has to be trucked in from someplace like around here. And so we get this, we get this fresh fruit. Um, Marianne is able to go to the market and, and bring it home. And we enjoy it. And sometimes we just don't realize how much work goes into producing that fresh fruit. Um, some of you... Um, I, I know in, I've heard stories in the Philippines of your families having some kind of fruit farm, and uh, you, you get to see those kind of things. Well, we had fruit in our property uh, back in North America. We, uh, one of the things that we really enjoyed growing was strawberries. Strawberries is one of my favorite. Um, Mary Ann's father grew strawberries and sold them. Um, uh, He grew them each year, and so we we followed up with that when we had a piece of property and we could put some in. We had so many strawberries that we just shared them with the neighbors, we enjoyed them, we took care of them in season. And where we lived in the wintertime, in the late fall, we would take the leaves that fell off the trees. Oh, that doesn't happen here. We'd take the leaves that fell off the trees, and we'd cover the strawberries to keep them from being uh, damaged by the the cold snow. And so it was work. There was a there was a, a an annual ret- ritual of following what it took to take care of these strawberries. And what we find out here as Paul gets into Galatians chapter 5 is he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to see the wonder of the fruit, this, this, this uh, blessing of fruit that we get that comes in our lives as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And we'll also see that there's some things that we can learn about that. And there's some work sometimes that it takes to have that fruit. Come into place. And so I want to read, read scripture from Galatians chapter 5 starting at verse 16. It will be on the screen. You can follow there or follow in your Bible as I read this. First of all, I want to say, do you see the first word there? Two-letter word. So. That's something important that you want to look at there. Um, just, to, just to note that, I'm going to point out one other word as we go through. The so is there meaning that it's connecting it with everything that came before. The things that came before are uh, what's causing this. And so, Paul says here, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The other word that I want to point out, the very first word, but that means that there's a contrast. All those things that I just read are not to be a part of our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, provoking and envying each other. Do you see this list? If I put it up there in, the, in a list form, you can see that in just two verses... In the book of Galatians, in just two verses, and you can even say just nine words. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul is doing a brainstorming session. If I asked you to each pull out a piece of paper, and I want you to list some characteristics that should be a part of the Christian's life, what would you put down? I think that's what... Wait a minute. Slide change error. Um, The remote could not confirm that the request of this slide change occurred. Something's the matter. (laughs) Um, There it goes. Um, You see here in, in, in nine words, the Apostle Paul is like he brainstormed what the characteristics of a Christian should be. And I think this is one of the classic passages that the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians. If you were to think of, of some of the, the, the places where the Apostle Paul wrote, you might think of 1 Corinthians 13 or Philippians chapter 2, or certainly this passage where Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. And it's such a wonderful list. And you see what happens with this stark contrast with what he had just described. The list of the acts of the flesh almost are like we're reading the newspaper. We're seeing what's going on around us and sometimes we see the big the big things. Um, you know, the, the, the swindling, the murders, but that's not even listed. It has selfishness. Fits of rage. Selfish ambitions. Dissension or differences among us. Factions and envy. And it's just such a stark dis- difference from what God wants us to have as a part of our lives. And so I wonder as we're looking at this passage of Scripture, how does Paul get here? The book of Galatians is a short book. It's six chapters. You could read it uh, in, in just uh, 15 minutes, 15 or 20 minutes. You could, you could read the entire book. And this passage of Scripture with the fruit of the Spirit in it comes towards the end of of the, of the book. It's in chapter 5. The end of chapter 5. How does Paul get to the point of sharing this? I think what's really going on is Paul has one message that he's giving. And I'm going to share that with you in just a little bit. And he explains it and, and um, expounds on it by giving different illustrations. And the fruit of the Spirit and the acts of the flesh. The contrast that's given there is one of those illustrations that Paul uses to make his main point. And so, what's going on here? Galatia is in what is in a country that's now called Turkey. Galatia is really a region, a state, a province, whatever you want to call it. It's in the central part of the country of Turkey. The Apostle Paul went to this area on his first missionary journey. He left from Antioch. Antioch's where the Christians were first called Christians. And he went over to the island of Cyprus, made a couple stops there, shared the gospel. And then he took a ship and he went north um, into this area that's called Galatia. If you're reading in in, um, Acts chapter 13 and 14, you can read about this missionary journey. And he goes up into the cities, Lystra, Derbe, Iconium, into these cities and he plants the seeds of the gospel. People come to Christ and they... Start forming churches. The Apostle Paul then, that, that green line, uh, goes in one way and then he comes out the same way and ends up back at Antioch. And that's his first missionary journey. Rather short compared with uh, some of the others. Um, but he's, he's, he's telling the Christians there how to live. Sometime later he starts getting reports that there are are Jewish believers who go up into that area and tell the the new believers that Paul led to Christ that they have to not only believe in Jesus, they have to follow all the rules of Judaism. And one of those things, the the, the classic one that, that is here that becomes the symbol of all the laws and rules is circumcision. And Paul says, no, you need to believe in Jesus. And so he writes this letter back to the Galatian church and tells them that they need to follow Jesus, the, the, the love, the grace that Jesus put out there. And salvation is a free gift. And so the big idea that I see running throughout the book of Galatians is that love... God's love, by the way, you have uh, outline if you I'm sorry I didn't mention it earlier, but if you need to, to get one, the outlines were in the bulletin, and you can put your hand up, somebody will get you one if you want to have that outline. The big idea, two things that you need to see, and if you, if you put these in your mind, you'll see them continuously throughout the book of Galatians. God's love is unconditional. There's absolutely nothing that the Galatian people could do or we could do to have God love us any more or any less. God's love is a characteristic of who God is. The second part of this is that salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. Now, I almost had to laugh. I was working on your... (laughs) I was working on the, uh, what's your sermon notes, the handout that you have there. And I was using a, a Microsoft product. And when I put there, salvation is a free gift, Microsoft thought that I made a mistake. And that part was all highlighted. Like I needed to come back and give that some kind of attention. I was saying something wrong. Because you see, I had free and gift right beside each other. And Microsoft is saying, of course! Free is a gift, and a gift is free. Stan, you're being redundant. You don't need to put both of those words there together. But you see how it makes the point. Even Microsoft knows (laughs) that a gift is free. And these Judaizers were coming into Galatia saying, you need to work for your gift. Why do we want to work for a gift? Why would we want to work for a gift? Maybe somebody wants to put some kind of control on you. If you do these things, if you do the things that I say, then surely you'll have this gift. Or maybe we want to work for the gift because then I have some control on it. It's not that I need to receive this gift. This truth that the gift is free is one that we have trouble with today. We've been so conditioned that nothing is free, we're skeptical if we get something free. And I found a quote from uh, an author some of you may have, have heard about, uh, Philip Yancey. I, I appreciate his books. And he writes this, and he's writing it basically from a North American perspective. But I think it's so true here in Hong Kong, too. As early as preschool and kindergarten were tested and evaluated before being slotted into an advanced or normal or slow track. You know all those tests and the interviews that you take the three- and four-year-olds to? From then on we receive grades denoting our performance in math and science and reading and social skills and citizenship. And the test papers come back with all the errors marked in red, not the correct answers being highlighted. And all this helps prepare us for the real world with its relentless ranking. We always think that we have to work, work, work for this gift. And the Apostle Paul wants to tell the Galatian people, no, it's free. It's a gift. We have to put our faith in Jesus. We have to receive the gift just like any other gift that we have to receive. But it comes from Jesus Christ. Two verses that I find here, you can you can just track this thought through the book of Galatians. And we see that we... is. Um, In Galatians 2.16, So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then again in, in verse 21, For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ Jesus died for nothing. If we could work for our salvation then there would be no need for Jesus to have gone on the cross and died in our place. And what happens then is the Apostle Paul is working through this truth that salvation is free. It's a gift from God. We see this great tension pulling from both sides, almost as if it's yanking us apart. Because you have on one side, you have the law. The law is represented by the Jewish law the rules and regulations that we want to put on. The the law needs to be put in place so that we can know uh, what the truth is. But we have the law, and on the other side, we have liberty. This freedom that we have in Christ, where Christ sets us free. And I've talked with people who are wanting to know about Christianity. And you explain what grace and salvation is, And time and time again, I've had the question posed to me, well, what do I do to be saved? Oh, you mean that when I sin, Jesus can forgive me? Yes. The next part is, then why don't I just keep sinning if it's that easy? Do you see, if Jesus will forgive me every time I sin, I have this liberty, He will release me from the law, then what is this salvation? It's so different. It's hard to understand. And the law is very real part. You find it in the Bible. You find the law being present throughout the Old Testament. But Christ wants to bring us the freedom that we have. And Paul lets us know that there's a third way. There's law on one side. There's liberty on the other side. And uniting it all together, just count the times the word love gets woven through this chapter and this book. Because what it is, is the love that's demonstrated by Jesus Christ. Let's look at a few of those verses. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ This is Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5:6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, the law, nor uncircumcision, liberty, has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5.13 You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You have this liberty. Don't use it to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. We have the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. We have this instruction from the Apostle Paul, if this was lived out, imagine how our world would be different. And then as you know, of the fruit of the Spirit, love is the first one found we've looked at that already. So God is just doing uh, uh, some amazing things here. Let me illustrate this again from the idea of a parent and a child. Because this is what the Apostle Paul does in chapter 3 of Galatians. He's talking about the relationship between a parent and a child. How many of you have children? How many of you have been a child? Okay, that gets everybody. (laughs) So you know what it's like. You, if you if you lived in on, on a on a busy or, or even a, a not busy street, as a parent, would you let your child play in the street? No. But your child wants to play in the street. It's fun playing it. It's easier to bounce the ball in the street than it is in the grass. Why don't you? Because you love your child? You know that a bus may be coming by? You know that the bus is bigger than your child? You see, what happens, the illustration that the Apostle Paul gives here is that when we're a child, we need this external discipline. It needs to come from outside because someone wiser knows the good things and the bad things to do. And that's what God gives us in the law. Someone wiser, more mature than us, knows what's good for us. So God lays that out for us. And as you trace through the laws of the Old Testament, there's some pretty bizarre things. But you find the truth that God loves us. And so, as a parent, we realize that the external discipline needs to be there. Once the child gets to be about 15, 16, 17, 18, if you're still telling that child to not play in the street, there's something wrong. And there may be something wrong. There are some children that that need that at 17, 18 years old. But what's supposed to happen with the child is that as the child grows up in a loving home with loving parents, the rules and the regulations become internal. And they follow them because they love the parents. Now, Playing in the streets is a pretty absurd example. But honoring God with your life as a child should be something that transitions from the external rules to an internal love for the parents, and for God, and for their family. And they do it because they love one another, not because there's a rule. The Apostle Paul in, in uh, 1 Timothy and, and, and Titus, he gives um, teaching to uh, leaders in the church, and he tells the leader to be self-controlled. The leader needs to have that internal control. Where they, are, where they love the Lord because of this deep love that's inside. When you're asking the question, how close can I get to breaking the rules without actually breaking the rules? How many rules can I break before God doesn't love me anymore? How many rules can I, can I have that, that, you know, how close can I get before God sends me to hell? I would submit you're asking the wrong question. Let me give you an illustration. There's a farmer who lives way back in a, in a narrow valley. He has a farm back there, and his farm is growing quite successful. He has the, the practice of, of twice a week taking a wagon of his produce and taking it into the market in town. And that involved going through this road that went along a narrow pass that had a very steep cliff that went off it. The farmer was always very careful as he took his produce to market. But as his life was getting busier, as he was able to grow more crops and had to take more produce into town, he decided that it would be best to hire somebody to take that trip twice a week. And so he let it be known among, among the village that he was looking for a, a, a man to drive the wagon twice a week, take it into town, and return It wasn't too long until three people became interested in the job. And so he had an opportunity to talk with each one of them. And he told them that what he wanted them to do was to take this trip. And they were all familiar with the the road that they had to go on. And so the farmer decided that he would ask one question, and from the answers from that question, he'd decide who he's going to hire. And so he said to the first one, he said, How close could you take the wagon to the edge of that cliff? without the wagon falling over. And the first one said, Oh my, I've gone down that road many, many a time. I know the exact spot you're taking. I I am so good at driving that wagon. I can get the wheels that close to the edge of the cliff and I guarantee you that we will never fall over. The farmer said, Thank you. I have two more people I want to talk to. The second man came in and... He was even more confident than the first. He said, I am such a good driver. Your wagon has wheels this wide. I can get that much of the edge of the wheel over the cliff. And it will not go down. The farmer said, Thank you. I have a third man to ask. The third man comes in, timid and humble, He was a little bit concerned about going on this path, and the farmer asked him the question. And the man said, Oh, sir, you may not want me to work for you. Because I'm so concerned about that cliff, and I've seen people go over that cliff, drive too fast along there, and get too close to the edge. He said, Sir, I won't get anywhere near that cliff. I'm going to stay as far to the other side as I possibly can. Who do you think got the job the third one it's a fictitious story but you see if we're asking the question how close can i get to the edge of the law how far can i go we're asking the wrong question we should be asking the question oh lord how can i get so close to you that i don't want to go to the edge And I think that's the message that the Apostle Paul is giving here. Do you see the contrast between the two? Love, joy, peace, sexual immorality, debauchery, idolatry. We want the fruit of the Spirit growing up in our life. And what I find is that the secret here of all of this is the Holy Spirit. Are we connected to the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit growing and developing in our lives? Because the difference between the fruit, fruit cannot be manufactured. There's no, like, strawberry factory, is there? They grow them kind of in a factory, in hydroponic plants and pots and all that kind of stuff. But it's still a plant that has to produce the fruit. It's the Holy Spirit living within us that has the fruit come out of us. We can't manufacture it. And so for these fruit to be present in our lives, we need the Holy Spirit to be there. And I'm going to give another illustration that you might not have any idea about because it just simply doesn't get cold enough here. But we have things called greenhouses in North America. Places where you grow plants on the, on the off-season. A place where you make the ideal environment. You keep the temperature right. You have the right amount of light. You have the right conditions going for the plant to be growing. And when our lives are that kind of greenhouse... It allows the Holy Spirit to flourish in our life. To see what's going on. To have us grow in Him. And then the fruit comes out. And so, the secret is the Holy Spirit. And He enables us to fulfill the law with love. Where we love God. We love one another. And I just want to wrap up with with this thought. This greenhouse where we have an environment to cultivate God's love. A love for God cultivates a welcoming environment for the Spirit to produce fruit in the believer. I told you about our strawberries. The strawberries that we grew in America. We had to rake the leaves off every spring. And by the way, this right now is when those strawberries would be blooming and they would be pushing up strawberries now's the time back in our hometown from the end of may to the first week or two in june that we would have strawberries but we planted these strawberries and uh, our property they would have been about here and the neighbor's property would have been about where the wall is and the first few years we got just so many strawberries coming up we had we had so many to share we had we had so many strawberries And as the years started going by, year four, year five, year eight of living there, the strawberries kept dwindling down. And so you have to replace the plants sometimes. But we never got back to that full amount of strawberries being uh, produced. And what we realized is the neighbor's trees that were just across the fence were getting taller and taller and taller. And they were making shade on our strawberries. There was a problem with the environment where we were growing these strawberries. I couldn't go cut the neighbor's trees down. He's a very nice neighbor, but he wouldn't... I didn't even ask him if I could cut his trees down. But you see, the environment wasn't right and we didn't get the strawberries. Do you see the things that are listed on the screen? Bible literacy and understanding. Do you understand the Word of God? Are you in the Word of God? These are the things that become the environment for the Holy Spirit to be working. Do you have a prayerful heart? Are you regularly in worship? Here in church and, and on your own. Are you nurturing relationships with other believers? Do you have a repentant attitude towards sin? What I say... What I see going on here is the Apostle Paul gives the fruit of the Spirit. He's giving another illustration about our relationship with God. When I saw that my strawberries were not producing the amount of fruit that they used to, I knew that there was something wrong with the environment. It took me a while to figure it out. We actually had to move the strawberries. Fortunately, our children were moving out. We didn't need as many strawberries, but we moved them to a place where it was sunnier. How's the fruit doing in your life? Is that love, joy, peace? I have it here. Patience, it says forbearance in the the NIV. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit that pushes out from your life as the Holy Spirit reigns in your life. And I think that the Apostle Paul is giving us a couple things here. One, the stark contrast between the world and the, and the life that the Christian lives with the fruit of the Spirit growing there. And another one, it's an opportunity for us to examine our lives and say, what's going on? How's the Spirit doing? The Spirit begets life, and life begets the fruit. And that's what's going on. And so with this, with this love, joy, peace, patience, It's a a sign to see if God is working there. And I have a summary for you just to kind of wrap this up, give you something to hold on to, give you something to remember. The fruit of the Spirit are in stark contrast to the acts of the flesh. I mean, just look at those two lists. They are so different. This night and day difference demonstrate the change God makes in the believer's lives. The fruit gradually grows. Strawberries can come a a year after you plant them. We had apple trees. They take several years. And for that fruit to grow, that fruit comes to fruition in your life as you walk with Jesus and have the Spirit living in you. And then that fruit, they're an evidence of God to the world. They'll see what's going on in your life. And they'll say, why is that happening in your life? Why is there such joy? Why is there peace? How can you have patience in this situation? And you can see what God has done in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are and how you work. Lord, you're so very real, so very present and Father, these, these simple illustrations, we all have fruit. We all see fruit. We enjoy it. We pick it. We, we, we eat it. We bring it home from the market. And Lord, these common illustrations can be a part of our life with You. May they take us to the point where we check the fruit and see how it's doing. How's it doing in my life? How's it going? is the Spirit ruling and reigning in my life. May you be honored in each person's life. I thank you now, in Jesus' name.